in a world where corruption, lies, and hate hang over our heads like a dark storm cloud on a winter's night. The only hope for a new day is the age of authenticity. Join me for season four as we go on a mission to help 100 million people break out of isolation and into acceptance. We're gonna come alongside visionary entrepreneurs, change makers, and thought leaders. We're gonna crack this code together. An array of light and an age of authenticity is upon us. Enjoy today's episode. So, I mean, so Chris, I mean, as far as my religious background goes, I was born, and I, and I talk about it in the book, I was uh, born and raised Catholic and uh, Roman Catholic and, um, you know, catechism, the whole nine yards. I didn't go to Catholic school or anything like that. But I mean, you, you know, I, there was clearly a conflict between my religious upbringing and my my realizing that I was different and that, you know, I knew that my embrace of my authentic self may not necessarily be, um, you know, my religion might not have space for that, you know. Um, and, and I, and I left the Catholic church for a long time. Um, I think I remember reading that, you know, you thought God was mad at you. You're like, you know, I must be a, a sinner. I'm going straight to hell. I mean, to live with that kind of feeling. Yeah. I mean, I actually thought, uh, you know, I say in the book, God made a mistake. You know, I, I really, you know, I did not, you know, I mean, this was like, you know, the, the late 60s and the 70s, you know, early 70s, and I was not in a place, nor was society either, f to fully embrace who I was. I mean, my, my, my initial reaction was to go hide. And, and, you know, and the church, you know, I don't want to put it all at the, at the feet of the Catholic Church, but yeah, the church had a lot to do with it. You know, it was all about you know, guilt and shame and, and denial. And it kind of all kind of started there. And, and that's really what I lived with as I lived in the closet for, you know, the first 40 plus years of my life, you know, before I decided to come out and embrace my true self. So, yeah. And, and, and but it's funny, it's been a very circuitous path, Chris. It's like, so I left the Catholic Church. Um, and, but I felt this kind of yearning for a spiritual home. Mm. So, uh, through some friends of mine, I found myself uh, at a very radically hospitable, as they call themselves, uh, mm. Episcopal church mm. um, in Morristown, New Jersey, um, called Church of the Redeemer. And I was embraced, I was welcomed, I was celebrated, and I was like, wow, is this church can actually be like this? You know, um, I can find a, a community. And they really helped me through a period of my transition where, you know, I had just gotten divorced. I was living on my own. I was managing through my transition on a number of fronts, you know, with my 10-year-old son being kind of at the forefront. I hadn't come out of work yet. So I needed to have, um, uh, you know, my, my kind of my thirst for spirituality quenched. And, and they played a huge, huge role. They really did. And, um, and I'm really grateful for that. Hmm. You know, I, I'm personally, I'm for the first time ever, I'm reading through the, the, the entire New Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious about what parts are 
social commentary for the time and what part is something that Jesus actually said, you know? Mm -hmm. What part is something Jesus actually said? So far, Stephanie, I have not I have not seen Jesus say anything other than love everyone. Mm-hmm. I have not seen him not want to hang like be with even the most marginalized people in society. Like the mm-hmm. I feel like in today's world Jesus would be right there with the LGBTQ community bringing hope and healing and love across the board. Mm-hmm. And 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 a, a lot of what's in there I'm I'm re- that I that I'm reading is social commentary for the time, the law of the land, the, the rule of what's going on with with the the people during those times when Paul's writing a lot of these letters maybe some of it's like just his opinion. I know it's said that the Bible is um, the inspired word through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm I personally to 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 cast out or or make shame or or make any human being on this planet feel that way is wrong. And there's a lot of Christians that listen to this show. Some people may not like me for saying this, but th- that's that's where I'm going today. Um, and I'm really really excited. To, to speak with you, Stephanie. You just wrote a book. Thanks. Could you tell us about the book? Sure. Uh, the, the name of the book, it's my first book. Uh, it's been a labor of love. Uh, it's called Reflections from Both Sides of the Glass Ceiling, um, Finding My uh, True Self in Corporate America. And what it really talks about, it's my, it's, it's a memoir of sorts. Um, but what it, what it talks about is it's my origin story. It's how I've came to embrace who I am and and to live my life authentically. So there's a lot of a lot of that in the book. Um, but at the end of the day, I lived a significant part of my life in corporate America. Hmm. Uh, when I decided to come out in 2005, the fall of 2005, I was the f- I, I worked at New York. I was working at the New York Life Insurance Company in uh, in Manhattan. In New York City, and I was the first transgender person, and I was an officer, a corporate vice president, uh, to come out in the history of the company. And the company was like 160 years old. They just recently celebrated their 175th anniversary. Oh, wow. And you know, back in that time, uh, and it's still very prevalent today. A lot of my acti- activism, as you might imagine, is around uh, trans inclusion in the workplace, but. Um, you could have, you could get fired for just coming out on the spot, done, finished, career over. And I actually thought that that was what was going to happen because, you know, an insurance company, traditionally very conservative, very brick and mortar. I have a stupid uh, question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sure. No, 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 not at all. I mean, that can't. So that's kind of like an unwritten policy. Um, forgive me for acting stupid here. Maybe not. I don't even know. <laughs> is that why would why would somebody be fired for simply saying this is who I am? I, I don't. And I know there's probably a variety of answers, but mm-hmm. what what was the case? Well, I mean, there was no from a policy perspective. There was there was nothing ever protecting LGBTQ people, you know, mm. um, and. And I don't think it was ever really, you know, the whole concept of diversity and inclusion, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, as it's called now, too, in, in certain circles within within companies, within the corporate space, that was really kind of at its infancy. 
So, you know, the whole the whole notion, you know, in, 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 in the corporate world is, you know, well, how is it going to make a difference for me in the bottom line? And that whole conversation about how a diverse workforce, having a richly diverse workforce with uh, diversity of opinions and experiences and and, and education and, 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 and perspectives can lead to a very robust um, corporate environment that can propel companies forward. That whole notion, Chris, was like in its infancy. And in many companies um, that had been, you know, traditionally very conservative, perhaps due to their industry segments or just their own corporate philosophy, quite frankly, um, that was really never on their radar screen. So, you know, it, so some companies, you know, this was an affront to our, to our values in quotation marks, and we're not going to have those people working for us. And, and, you know, that's what it was like, you know, and, um, and, and it was horrible. It's horrible. And while we have made great strides, I think, from then to now, you know, in the work that I do, um, with companies and corporations on, on, on transgender workplace inclusion. Um, you know, the, the need for it today is as great as it was when I came out. You know, I mm -hmm. thought at some point in time, you know, we'd reach a point where the demand would diminish just a bit because more and more companies are becoming woke, that kind of thing, Chris. But no, not at all. You know, everyone's in different stages of, um, of wokeness, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and that, so that was really the environment that I found myself in um, coming out in 2005. So it was kind of out of that whole experience. They didn't fire me. And part of it speaks to the, um, I think, the culture of, of the company. And I talk about that in the book. Um, it wasn't about, well, we're going to fire you. It was about how can we make this transition as comfortable as we can for you, which was a big leap for them. It really was. Um, it could have been, it could have, it could have gone way different. They could have just thrown some money at me and made me go away, um, but they chose not to do that. And so they didn't know how to do it. I had to lead them by the hand in terms of this is how we, you know, the steps we need to take. And, um, you know, and so it was out of that where I kind of found my calling um, as an activist, now as an author, um, as someone who is, you know, beating the drum for transgender workplace inclusion because unemployment and underemployment is such a big, big, big problem in the transgender and non-binary communities. Um, you know, you can't have a house over your head. You can't put food on your table if you don't have a job. And, you know, homelessness and, and, and all of that is tied into employment. So that's why I feel so strongly about the work that I'm doing. And that's why I feel so strongly that I hope the book in telling my journey and talking about, you know, what I've learned and how I reacted to the situations that I was confronted with in, in the corporate, in corporate America opens more eyes, you know, leads to a broader conversation. Um, you know, and what the interesting thing, though, Chris, it kind of came along for the ride. And, and I always I always joke about this when I speak at companies and whatnot. And there was a point in my transition after I came out at New York Life where I was like, so the good news is I've been fully assimilated into the female workforce at New York Life. And the bad news is that I've been fully assimilated into the female workforce at New York Life. Mm. And, and what I talk about in the book is, as, as I was seen more as a woman in the workplace, 
I was, I began to be treated differently. Um, and that's where the whole glass ceiling piece comes in. I began to understand what a corporate life is like without male privilege. You know, for 25 years or so, I lived in corporate America as a white male of privilege. Mm -hmm. Then when I transitioned, that went away. You know, and I didn't think too much about what privilege meant for me in the workplace when I was, you know, going through the earlier stages of my career. It just kind of came along for the ride. And it was like, okay, fine. You know, I never really kind of tried to define it necessarily. But once I lost it, that's when I really felt it. And, you know, and it showed up in small ways and how people, mostly white men, were reacting to me. You know, at one point, Chris, I thought, wow, I work with a whole bunch of transphobic knuckleheads that just don't get who I am. And that was exacerbated, too, by me just kind of trying to get my sea legs, if you will, as a woman in the world, you know, just outside of the corporate space, just in life. Um, but as it turned out, it wasn't necessarily about that. There might have been some transphobia somewhere. Um, I was never really um, aggressed upon, for want of a better word, a better term. But um, it was starting to show up more and more in meetings and whatnot, where, you know, I was getting mansplained. I was getting questioned about projects and reports, things that I would never get questioned about before. You know, prior to my transition, and so I write about that too. It's it's kind of I like to describe it as it's like the intersection of gender identity, my coming to groups with my authentic self, and what existed with uh, gender inequality f for decades and decades. Um, and I learned more and more about it as the cisgender women that I worked with embraced me as you know a part of their a part of their world. It's, uh, so it, it, there's a lot of that in the book. Can can we dig more into the into that authentic self and to quote uh, a piece of your book you, you when you're describing what it feels like not to be in your authentic self you felt like you were in an emotional straitjacket like taking crazy pills what if someone finds out who I actually am mm -hmm. Excuse me people listening this is who she actually is. And she was a, like, th 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 you know what a straight jacket is? It means you can't move your arms or your legs. You're in like a padded white room. They've called you fucking crazy and you're trying to wiggle out of it and you can't. You want to break free, but you can't. You felt locked and trapped. And, and, and now, obviously, it's easier than said, said than done. Inside of your truly authentic self, you're able to live freely and, and happily and, and, and spread this message. But there was, there was a system that exists that you weren't even allowed to be yourself. That's true. <clears throat> Part of me, it's true. I, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it was it's kind of a function of the times, Chris, I think. Um, it was a function of a lot of things. You know, it was the whole religion piece that I that I talked to you about. And, and it was a function of the times. Um, you know, words like, you know, words like transgender weren't even around, you know, in the in the 70s, really. I mean, you know, when, and I talk about like, when, when Renee Richards came out, you know, you know, she was, you know, transsexual was the only word that they had for that. Uh, transvestite, you know, words that really, you know, in the, in, in, 
are, are, are seen on, on in certain circles as pejorative now. Yeah, we've that's all heard all... it. We've heard the terms, you know, you've said tranny before. All, all of us have. Like, we know the words that we've said that mm -hmm. are insanely harmful. <laughs> but that straight jacket, Chris, that I write about, it, 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 it was the best way for me to describe how paralyzed I felt because there was no way I was going to, uh, I was too frightened, too afraid to make the leap and embrace my authentic self. First, because, you know, I had no community, you know, there's no internet, there's no, you know, I, I you know, I thought I was the only one, you know, so I was, I was paralyzed with fear that if I was ever to even bring up the subject to my parents, to my family, that, I mean, they'd, they'd like kill me or something. I, 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 I had no idea. I conjured up all these things in my head, all horrible outcomes. And what it, and what it did is it just drove me deeper and deeper into the closet. And it caused me to really um, kind of live a, live a grand facade of a life where, you know, I, I was trying to embrace things like sports and, and whatnot that would help me be seen as just another one of the guys and that I wouldn't stick out um, because to stick out meant that you would be harassed and potentially, especially back then, and even so today, frankly, become a victim of violence. So that just served to... Um, move me inward and 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 hence the straight jacket reference so there's i'll bring the bible into this there's a quote in revelation uh a, when god opens a door no one can shut it when god shuts a door no one can open it this door opened like you weren't in that closet for like what was the moment you saw i had it i'm I, this is enough i am i am I'm going to tell the world who I am. Let's go. Like, what was that moment? Well, and, and I write about it uh, in, in the book. It, there, you know, it's, it's, it's really, <clears throat> it's, excuse me, it's a preponderance of things that kind of, that build over time. And at least for me, in my own, in my own experience, it's different. It, it's, it's as different as there are, uh, as there are trans people. Um, but for me, in my own personal experience, um, it's just kind of built up over time and built up over decades, you know, I um, and built up over marriages. Um, as I point out in the book, I was married three times. You know, my my um, my therapist always liked to say, you know, Steph, you gave it the old college try, you know, um, and um, because I thought that being married was what I was supposed to be doing at the time, because, you know, I was never really living my life on my own terms. I was living my life to make other people happy, um, like, like my family, for example, because happy people around me meant that I could hide easier. And um, you can only do that for so long. And, you know, with the emergence of like the internet, for example, and whatnot, I found community, I found that I found out I wasn't the only one. And, and I guess through that, that was the beginning of my realizing that, you know, I'm not alone, clearly, and that I have, you know, more power 
to manage my life than I ever gave myself credit for in the past. And, um, you know, and, and, it, and, and, you know, I talk about that leap and I talk about how I was having a conversation with my, my, my ex-wife, now my ex-wife at the time, and how I was, you know, concerned in my own mind that by making this leap, um, you know, I was, I, I draw the analogy, the metaphor of a, of a, of a dark abyss. And at, when I was having that conversation and embracing my authentic self for the first time outwardly to someone as close to me as that, um, I knew that I was standing on the edge of an abyss and that if, and that by, by embracing my authentic self, I would be jumping off into the darkness. And I really didn't know if there was a, a bottom necessarily mm -hmm. because I knew that if I did that I would be losing everything my life would be over now <clears throat> excuse me not necessarily like throwing myself underneath a bus over I never really had suicidal ideation ideation throughout any of this but but many trans people do but not for me in my own experience um, but I knew that like this house of cards life as I describe it in the book was all going to come crashing down. You know, I was living in the burbs, you know, the whole white picket fence, you know, house thing. And, you know, I was part of my church community. I mean, Chris, I was in the Knights of Columbus for crying out loud. You're going I mean, the you know, yeah. the, I mean, the lengths that one will go to, right? Um, but I, I knew that that was all going to fall by the wayside. Um, but but there was something inside of me that said, no, you have to do this. You know, it's like this little pilot light inside of you. I've, I, I talk about this. There's still a small um, voice, yeah. It's still there, and it, it's there today. It was there then, you know, and in my, and in my belief system, Chris, that, you know, God put that there. Yes. Um, and because he was pulling me forward, even when I didn't want to move forward. Mm -hmm. But at that particular point, I was ready to hold on to his embrace and hold on to his hands and have and and take the leap. And um, there were tough times, sure there were. Uh, but what happened was a, a road rose up to meet me, and that road was 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 all the friends that that I had met, a new a new family that. Uh, it kind of rose up to embrace me and celebrate me and, and love me. And a lot of that family at that time were my church community at the Episcopal Church that I was talking to you about. So for those that are listening, we've, we've spoken a lot about the transition of breaking out of isolation and into acceptance. In fact, the mission of this show is to help 100 million people break out of isolation into acceptance. I'm pretty sure with today's episode, we're going to get at least one. So thank you so much, Stephanie, so far. <laughs> but the, My pleasure. The, 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 like inside of that isolation, feeling like that story is uniquely your own, I thought I was the only one who had been sexually abused as a child. I thought I was the only one who had grown in and, uh, up in and out of meth dealers' homes. I thought I was the only one whose mom had beaten him. I thought I was the only one. And guess what happened when I found out I wasn't? I went to, uh, 
I thought I was the only one who struggled with alcohol. I thought I was the only one who struggled with drugs. I thought I was the only one who struggled inside of a marriage going to strip clubs behind his wife's back. I, th I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one who was stealing and doing business unethically. I thought I was the only one who had gotten sued. I don't know why, but th that loneliness, and if someone were to finally find out who I am, they would run away from me like I am a dirty dumpster fire in a back alley. But the exact opposite happened when I found myself in a recovery group and I heard someone else share my story. I say, why are you sharing my story? I thought that's what I went through. I thought I was the only one. Layer one went down. Mm-hmm kept coming back okay maybe there's more people turns out we're all a little bit more alike than we thought we were but when i sh when i shared that thing the, the thing i didn't want anybody else to know it all started to melt away and they clapped and and, and no one threw me out of the room in fact we all got closer together and i'm thinking where is the disconnect in our world where there are so many people across all kinds of walks of life? And I'm sorry, I'm, pu I'm putting your story on such a platform right now. There are so mm -hmm. many people in all walks of life that are living with something like this, where the still small voice that like God is trying to guide you to become your best self. That's all he wants for, from you is, is to grow in your character and to love and serve and give with your time and talents like that unique, beautiful soul that is on this planet. That's all he wants for you. He loves you. And to, to deny that is it's, it's tough and it, it, it leads to so much suffering. Um, and I hope that there's a little bit of compassion here is that it's, it's okay. Like if, if you're someone that resonates deeply with Stephanie's story, like reach out to her, buy the book, you know, please do. If you want to reach out to me, I, I'll, I'll listen. I'll hear what's going on, but let's enter the second act of this story. You know, what, mm -hmm. what are you, what are you doing today? Um, and you know, where are things going? So once I, um, once I retired from New York Life, because um, this all, all of this work, you know, writing the book, um, speaking and training and consulting with companies of, of all shapes and sizes and organizations on trans workplace inclusion, that was always the side hustle. And, you know, it's interesting, Chris, you know, you try and you follow your calling, right? Um, and it was really difficult for me to kind of maintain the day job and which had its own set of, um, of, of, of kind of energy sapping requirements, if you will. And then here I was trying to continue to do all the outreach and, you know, move the needle, as I like to call it. And um, it became really, really debilitating for me physically and mentally and emotionally because I was getting so much energy positive energy from all the work that I was doing outside of the day job. Um, and then I still had to go back to the day job. So I reached a point where I just said, I have to stop doing as much of the outside work because I, you know, the whole concept of self-care, Chris, was just kind of lost on me at that point. You know, it's like, well, of course I'll say yes to do that. And right. and my wife, Mari, was like, you know, you, you probably should say uh, 
you should say maybe instead of yes, you know, and, um, but it's like, you know, they need me, you know, that was kind of my, my, my thing. And um, so, so I, I backed off and, um, but I knew, I knew though, having said that, Chris, I knew that I was not going to be one of those people that was like, okay, you're going to work in corporate until you're, you know, 68, 69, 70, mm -hmm. some people, and then retire. It's like, no, 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 no. I have other things I need to do. Um, so um, through a, a set of circumstances, um, mutually agreeable, I retired from New York life in, 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 and moved out to California, here to Southern California in, 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 29, in, the, in the spring of 2019. I actually, interestingly... Uh, we got in the car in New Jersey, which is, you know, where I'm from, where, you know, you can clearly I lay all that out in the book. But um, we got in the car on Holy Thursday and left New Jersey at five o'clock in the morning and arrived in California on Easter Sunday. I thought that was just interesting, you know, the whole Tridom thing, you know, it was, it was like that's when we left. I thought it was very, um, uh, you know, the simile was just was not lost on me. Um, so now I am able to do this work um, that I've always wanted to do full time. And, you know, I have an LLC, Follow Your Heart LLC. Um, my website, just for the record, is stephaniebadalino.com. And that's where you can find out about my book and pre-order it and sign up for my email list and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things that I always wanted to do, but didn't have the time to do it. And, um, and, I'm, and, and, and that really is bringing me joy and bringing me fulfillment and because um, there's so much work to be done. Um, you know, the, the need for education never ends, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, if, if I can contribute to, you know, someone once told me, they said, because I, I was struggling with, well, how do I become an activist? How do I do this work? You know, is there room in the sandbox for me? And I, and I, and I write about this in the book. And my, my, my friend said to me, he said, Stephanie, it's, it's not a sandbox. It's more like a beach. You know, there's mm. plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of room for voices because, you know, we need to, there's power in our stories. You know, that's what I learned, you know, I learned that, you know, you don't have to have this big toolbox mm -hmm. to move the needle in a positive direction. You have to have your story and you have to have a belief in your story. And that's how you change hearts and minds. And because there's power in our stories, Chris, you know, there's power in your story. You know, there's there's power in the, in the stories of all the guests that you've had on, you know, and, and, and we all we all contribute to society in our own way and to not have a segment of that society be given a seat at the table so that they can tell their story is wrong. And that's part of why I do what I do. And, and that's what I'm doing now. You know, it's, it's funny, the book, the book kind of started right after the Pulse massacre in June of 2016. I was very moved. I didn't lose anyone that I knew personally in, in, in that experience, in that, in that moment, but it, that's what started the book. And what, what started out in June of 2016 to what's coming out uh, very soon is a very different book. Um, and it's because, partly because I've had the opportunity now to sit with it. And um, I have a spiritual director. She's a Dominican nun, Chris. 
and her calling is to minister to the transgender community. And her and I have been together. I've been on retreat with her and uh, we've been friends and we, we went to Washington, D.C. when the Pope came during the second Obama administration. Mm -hmm. And um, and she always she was always counseled me to Steph, hold it lightly, hold it lightly, pray upon it, discern. And so that's what I've been able to do. And, you know, the pandemic hit and everything. But the upshot of all that is that's when I wrote the book. I wrote the book. I finished writing the book. I retooled it and wrote it in like 16 weeks. Mm. You know, I, I don't recommend that for <laughs> for any budding author necessarily, but that's that's what happened. And um, so I'm hoping the book changes hearts and minds and I'm hoping it it touches people and helps people because it can help a lot of different people, I think. And, um, you know, and I hope that that's just a, a jumping off point for for what's become the second chapter in my life. This is Chris Decker of the Age of Authenticity podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got anything out of today's episode, rate the show, leave a review, send me an email, Christopher at salescast.co. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's a great place. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Take care.